So just so you know, this is out of this six-part series called On Target. This will be the hardest sermon. And so what I pray in just a moment is that all of us will really focus, especially as we get into these scriptures. If you're a note-taker uh, and after the message you're like, I, I want to know where to get those scriptures, if you'll just email me, uh, we'll get you all the scriptures that uh, we're going to share today. So let's pray, and then we'll start. Heavenly Father, we praise you for today. We praise you for uh, the worship this morning. And Lord, I pray that you'll uh, help us to be extremely attentive because, uh, Lord, this is such a difficult subject as we look around to those that are hurting. As we just heard, uh, almost 25% of the folks here in Monroe County live below that poverty line. So Lord, what do we do about that? And Lord, that's your calling for all of us here today. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. I'd like to have you turn your attention over here. This is a board game I guarantee most of you played. How many of you played the game of life? Anybody raise your hand? Good, five of you. Anyway, well, it's a great game if you've never played it. Uh, but it's interesting. It started in 1860, and then by 1960, at the 100-year anniversary, they actually did a lot of tweaking, and they designed this board. And this was the new, this was a big deal in 1960. They added the spinner. Uh, and as you know, the way the game of life works is every player gets the same amount of money when you begin, but then depending on what your diploma was in, depending on what job you chose, how many paydays you receive, how many tragedies you avoid, one of the spaces is even midlife crisis. Wow, that's a, that's a heartbeat away. So all of us, as we've played this board game, it's interesting, you get to the very end. Now, when you get to the very end of the game, what you try to do is you assess how everybody else is doing. And if you know for certain there is no way you could possibly have enough money to win, anybody remember what you get to do? You can put your car on 1 through 10, you can spin the wheel and gamble that you'll somehow go into Millionaire Alley, okay? Now, only one thing actually changed over a 100-year period of time. It was for political reasons. Anybody know what changed in the game of life? Anybody want to guess? Okay, here's what it was. The ending of the game. It used to be, if you won, of course, the winner was the person who what? Accumulated the most money. If you lost, you were thrown into, remember this? The poor farm. In 1960, that didn't go over well. So people are like, we don't want to be the poor farm. And so <laughs> instead, they call it, uh, I believe it's... Um, Something Acres. Isn't that amazing? It's like uh, this beautiful uh, community side acres. That's the name of it. Countryside Acres. Because poor farm is very offensive to a lot of folks. Now, how many of you older than me, don't be that much older, remember hearing the term poor farm? Anybody here? Okay. Anybody know what a poor farm was? Okay. What is it? Just briefly, what's a poor farm? Yeah. There it is. What, what a novel concept. Now think about this. Especially in smaller communities, they would have an area set aside. Families that were widows, that didn't have any family support, fell well below the poverty line. They would all move into this community and they would work the land. And they would do everything they could in this community to get back on their feet. And then they would move back into the towns. Now, does that sound like a novel idea or what? It's actually a pretty biblical concept. And every community would set aside money for that. Now, of course, 
government got involved, and anytime government gets involved, it always gets better, doesn't it? So anyway, that's another sermon. But I want you to think about this is an interesting concept of how many people view life. Don't they view life? The true winner is at the end of your life, what? You own the most stuff, and you're the winner. And that's how a lot of people, now you'd say, that is not at all what people think. Really? Seemed like that lotto went over pretty big. You know, so anyway, we like having stuff. We just do. And especially in the world that we live in today, we love our stuff. And we love to accumulate salaries. And when we get to the end of our lives, many times, if we're not careful, we look at our lives and say, look, I've done really well materially, so I'm actually a winner. And then you run this through God's Word, and you're like, that's not God's priority, is that at the end of our lives, we just have a lot of stuff. So we're going to get into a very, very difficult subject, and that is a biblical principle message on poverty and the poor, and that's tough. In our life group, I can just tell you straight up, uh, we're in the third week of this series, and when we roll this out and just ask basic questions like, how would you define poverty? How would you define being poor? These are hard conversations, but they're conversations that the church really needs to have. So this morning, here's what we're going to do. We're going to first of all look at God's heart for the poor, and then we're going to look at God's hands for the poor. So first of all, let's look at God's heart for the poor, and it actually starts all the way back in the book of Genesis. And in Genesis 12, as you know, God reached out to Abram, who he renamed Abraham, and he said, from you... I will start a new nation. And over and over in Genesis 12, he gives us the purpose for this new nation. You know what it is? One word, bless. This will be a nation to bless the entire world. The whole world should look at you and say, something is different about you. You are here to bless. Now think of all the things that God could have said. I'm going to start out of you a great nation, and you will conquer, and you will defeat, you know, you will thrash, you know, you put every military term in there, and so God said, no, you are here to bless. And then Moses, as this nation is raised, he gives some really interesting laws, and I want you to listen to the heart of God in these laws for God's people. Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses 19 through 21. When you are harvesting in your field and you overlook a sneer, do not go back to get it. Leave it for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow, so that the Lord your God may bless you in all your work of all your hands. And when you beat the olives from the trees, do not go over the branches a second time. You leave the remains, get this, for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. And when you harvest the grapes in your vineyard, do not go over the vines again. Leave the remains for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. I don't know. Is Moses repeating something there? I think he's trying to get a point home. But listen to verse 22. Remember, you were slaves in Egypt, and that is why I command you to do this. Did you catch that? Do you remember what it was like to be oppressed? Do you remember what it was like to be beaten? Do you remember waking up and knowing you could only humanly possibly do this and they would push you to do more and they did this to your children? Do you remember how you cried out to God? Do you remember that agony? 
That's called poverty. And that's not going to happen with you towards other people. Even down to every day of your life, if there's something you can do to help, you help. What a powerful principle. And then God says this in Isaiah 58. Now you think about this. He says, when you pray, and normally when we pray, if we're honest, many times our prayers are focused on us. But he says, when you pray, don't even start with focusing on yourselves. I really want you to focus on those that are really hurting. Matter of fact, in Isaiah 58, he says, you actually need to go out and help someone before you pray. And not just pray, you pray and fast. In other words, when you set aside a time to give up food and genuinely, intensely seek God, he said, when you do that, first of all, help somebody else so that your heart's right as you pray. Starting in verse 6 of Isaiah 58. Is not this the kind of fasting that I have chosen? to loose the chains of injustice, untie the cords of the yoke, set the oppressed free, break every yoke. It is, not to share your food. is it not to share the food with the hungry, provide for the poor, wander and the shelter. And when you see the naked, clothe him, and do not turn away from your own flesh and blood. And then your light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing will quickly appear, and then your righteousness will go before you. And the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. And you will call to the Lord and he will answer. And you will cry for help and he will say, here I am. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and the malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like noonday. Now that's good stuff. And if you want something to read this week, go back and read that again. It doesn't that sound like the mission of Jesus Christ to just break the chains of the oppressed, to do everything possible to help those that are struggling. If you really want to have a great time, take this and then go over to read the parable in Matthew 25, the sheep and the goats. And boy, does that ever match up. The teachings of Jesus, the life of Jesus, and our calling to reach those that are hurting. Poverty is a major, major issue in today's world. In the book, Hole in Our Gospel, which I highly recommend by Richard Stearns, 15% of the world is living in extreme poverty. Now, do you know what I mean by extreme poverty? How many have been outside of the United States? Anyone? Okay. So if you travel outside the United States, and especially if you've been to some third world countries, you begin to see what you think is poverty, and then you walk into villages and you're like, oh, that's poverty. And we need to wake up to that there's levels of poverty that we can't even comprehend. Uh, I can just tell you from building homes in Mexico, being in the Dominican Republic, being way up in the mountains in Honduras, man, I have seen some things that honestly will just turn your stomach. There is no such thing as uh, debating over health care. There, there is no such thing. I remember one little, and this, is, this was a nice home. You go in, and it, it would be like, honestly, bigger than uh, about, the, or excuse me, the same size as a backyard shed, a dirt floor. And there was this little, like, a three-year-old baby with, um, and you could just tell the baby, no focus. And we, said, we showed up as a mission team and said, can we pray for you? And the interpreter said, uh, the mother's going through a very hard time uh, because 
while she was outside doing work when she came in, the baby rolled off of this little hammock and the baby's blind. And the baby will never have sight back. And so this just happened a couple of weeks ago. One of our uh, guys that was just in our group almost lost it. He went outside, he goes, why didn't the mother just rush her to the hospital? Why didn't she call 911? I'm like, time out. It doesn't work that way. What money does she have to get her child to the hospital? It doesn't work that way. Poverty. And we need to wake up that there is a world hurting. There's 5 million deaths a year just from water illness. The health issues they estimate would be somewhere in the neighborhood of 13 billion just to make a dent. But here's where it gets scary. It's easy for Americans to say that's somebody else's problem. And then we got to look at our own spending habits. We spend uh, $705 billion on entertainment, okay? You've probably heard me say before, I, I love the St. Louis Cardinals. I grew up in St. Louis, but it's embarrassing when I see the salaries of these guys. Seriously, it is, it's embarrassing. And it's embarrassing what we spend on our entertainment. It just is embarrassing. Lotto tickets, we spend $58 billion a year on the lotto. And for our pets and their care, $31 billion. Now, is it all America's fault for poverty? No. Is America a generous country? Many times we really are. But it really comes down to not just pointing the finger and say the world needs to do something, or Americans need to wake up. It's what can this church begin to do? It's interesting. Uh, I read this uh, article the other day, and uh, he, is a, uh, he wrote an amazing book uh, called Toxic Charity. And uh, this individual, um, he is a fantastic guy and an author, and this is what he said, talking about the Hebrew wisdom, ancient Hebrew wisdom on how you can help other people. So I want you to listen carefully. He said there are four ways to help a, a human being. And this goes all the way back to Old Testament times. But just listen to this. So what can we possibly do? Robert Lupton writes that an ancient Hebrew wisdom describes four levels of charity. The highest level is to provide a job for another human being in need without the knowledge of you providing the job. That's the greatest thing you can do. He said the next level is to provide work to the needy, but they know the person who actually provided the work. Number three level is to give an anonymous gift to meet an immediate need. But listen to number four. The lowest level of charity to be avoided at all possible costs is to give a poor person a gift with his full knowledge of who the donor is. Now, think about that. Think about the times that we just, for our, and I'm talking to myself too, I write a check, I'll give somebody five bucks, and I, I feel better for a few minutes. But are we really making a difference? And honestly, isn't this where, what the most difficult thing is as we talk about how do we help those that are poor and needy? How do we actually really help. I hope you listen carefully to how Habitat's approach is, is we want to take those folks and we want to help folks to get to the next step. We want to help them if they really want to be helped. It's a powerful, powerful principle. So what does God want out of us? We know his heart. Micah 6.8. If you want a t-shirt and you want something to put on your t-shirt, this is a great verse to put on a t-shirt. And I'm going to ask us to do something a little silly, okay? Uh, part of it so you'll wake up. If everybody will just stand up, because we're going to read this one verse together, because this is what God has called us to do 
Micah 6, uh, verse 8. Okay, let's read this together. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Okay, you can sit down. Now, think, let that sink in. If you don't hear anything else I say, let that one verse, what does God want us to do? Every day he said, will you do these things? Will you just act justly? Will you love mercy? Will you pursue God? And now here's what I believe God will do. When you're like, I just don't know who to help, God will lay on your heart who you need to help. I guarantee it. There's over 2,000 verses in the Bible concerning justice and poverty and loving those that are less fortunate to us. That's the heart of God. Now, what are the hands of God? In Matthew 5, 3, this, uh, what I think is the greatest sermon ever preached on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus begins by saying this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. What in the world is Jesus talking about? Well, first of all, he's not talking about being materially poor. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit. In other words, I look for those that I would say are humble and they're hungry. That they humbly come to me and they are hungry to help those that are in need. And I will bless those that have that heart. So I think it's important that we take a closer look at how we can be the hands of God. And we want to continue with the story from Habitat. We have a video to show. Two months ago, I had the opportunity to walk through the Grand Canyon, and it occurred to me that really living in poverty is living at the depth of that canyon, way at the base, where sometimes you can't even see the rim of what we call middle class. When we work with families at Habitat, what we know is that they are frequently so far down into that canyon, we can sort of appreciate some of the depth but we don't know how to get them out. We can see that they're walking. We can see that they're trying. And we can see that they have tremendously heavy loads. But that Grand Canyon has many side canyons and the path out is not always clear. And so at Habitat, what we do is walk next to people. We build dignity in them. Sometimes after just one stumble, a family will sprint up the side of that canyon and they'll arrive at the rim of middle class and they'll never look back. They will soar. But more frequently, a family stumbles several times on the way. Eventually, each of these families arrives at the rim of middle class. And then, if they need us, they can return back to our classes, even after they've bought their home. They can get reminders of what it takes to stay in the middle class. More often than not though, once you arrive at the rim and you have seen the skills that you need to stay in middle class, you can stay there. You get promoted at work. 85% of the children in Habitat houses start improving their grades at school. And our dream is that each one of these children will go on and start their adult lives in middle class. They'll go to college they'll be giving back to our community just as it has given to them. Wow, isn't that good? Now you can clap, it's okay, it's church, okay. I'd love for you to write this one little quote down. No one can help everyone, but everyone can help someone. 
You know why that's so important? Even Jesus didn't help everyone. Here's one I was thinking today. Jesus didn't save everyone. He came to save. But even on the cross, do you remember the two thieves? They weren't both saved that day. Only one surrendered to Jesus Christ. He didn't save everyone. We can't save everyone. We can't help everyone, but everyone can help someone. Here's what I'm really excited about what Sherwood Oaks is doing. We have a handful of these, and we're going to get more, uh, but it's called the On Target 2016 Serving Guide, and there are countless ways as individuals and small groups can get together to make a difference in our community, and that's huge that we that we just look right around. And if you notice, the word that she used that I absolutely love was the word dignity. Dignity. Uh, years ago, uh, we were in Honduras, and uh, Sherwood Oaks supports uh, by giving, I can't even tell you how many bags and bags of clothes that go to Honduras. So it was really neat as we went up in the mountains to take these clothes to these villages from Sherwood Oaks, and I remember, as a matter of fact, one of my funniest things, I saw a guy riding a donkey, and he, he had a, a little five-weekend t-shirt on. It was awesome, you know, but uh, I remember we got to this one village, and we're getting all these clothes out, and the missionary gets out this little box with the change and everything in it, and uh, I'm like, uh, I didn't say dude, but I'm like, what are you doing? And he goes, what do you mean? I said, you're going to charge these folks? He goes, absolutely, we're going to charge and I'm like, you know, I've been on the other side of this thing at Sherwood Oaks, and they think you're giving these, these clothes away. I don't think you should be charging. And uh, he, he looked at me, and he said, John, we're here to bring respect. So if I just put a bunch of free clothes out, first of all, we have a riot on our hands. You, I've done this so many times. This is your first time. He said, second thing is, we're charging like a nickel. We're charging a penny. But we want them to feel dignity and respect. We're not just here to give stuff away. Wow. Man, that was one of those life lessons. See, God has called us to find ways to build respect in other. Not just say, I feel so sorry for you. I'm going to write you a check to say, no, no, I want to invest in you. I want to believe in you because everybody needs somebody to believe in them. Didn't you love last week's video? I absolutely love. Tara, Tara and Cheryl, I love the fact they said, I knew what it was like. To hurt. I knew what it was like to be at this level and people to help me. We need to remember the same thing. So what does that look like? Over in 2 Corinthians 8, we won't have a chance to get to the whole text, but let me read a few of the verses of a church that practiced being the hands of God. It's the Macedonian church in chapter 8, and I want you to listen to this carefully because that, I believe, is God's calling for everybody here today. Starting in verse 2, he says, Out of the most extreme, severe trial, their overflowing joy, and their ex in their extreme poverty, welled up in what? Rich generosity. I testify that they gave as much as they were able. Now drop down to verse 7. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you excel in what? The grace of giving. In other words, talk is cheap. Talk is cheap. If you really want to be the church and the hands of Christ, you look for those that desperately need help, and respectfully, you do everything you can to help them. 
That's what we are called to do. That's the why. And then I want you to look down at verse 9. This is the clincher. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor, so that through his poverty you'll become rich. Wow. Did you catch that? The Son of God became a servant. So what do you think he expects out of us? He expects us to be a servant. We are the hands of Jesus Christ. We are the feet of Jesus Christ. You'll hear this time and time again, but I love it. Bill Hybel said that the local church is the hope of the world. I believe that with all my heart. We can't just keep throwing money and all that. Uh, we have so many, I think, incredible people throwing a lot of money at world's poverty. But without Jesus Christ, where are folks without Jesus Christ? We, the local church, truly are the hope of the world. Even when we are going through hard times, we continue to give. I want to close with this. In 2005, it was my first year here at Sherwood Oaks. And if you remember, uh, the Hurricane Katrina came through. And uh, I was so impressed. Sherwood Oaks, uh, they, the problem was so huge. They didn't even know really where to start. But they sent an exploratory team down there. And they said, here's what we'd love for this team to find. Find another church that this hurricane did just immense damage. And then we're going to send teams every three months to help that church. Because we're trying to find out how to help. All these groups are coming down there, but we want to be very, like, laser-focused. Well, they found this little African-American church in Moss Point, Mississippi. And the reason they found this little church is when they started asking around, they said, there's this little church that keeps giving away clothes and giving away food, and everybody keeps coming to this little church, and yet that church was nearly destroyed by the hurricane. The, the roof is destroyed on this church. The parsonage is destroyed. Many of the folks in the church, because there's so many roofs destroyed, they can't get help. And so we took three teams down, and I was the, the second team with college students. We went down, and one of our kids' dad ran a roofing business. You talk about working it out. And uh, I remember uh, this minister was amazing to work with. And we, first of all, we, we repaired his uh, parsonage. And then we were able to go into the community and help out with some roofing projects. But on New Year's Eve that year, uh, and you, you, those of you that roofed, you know what I'm talking about. You're exhausted. And they said, we are so excited. We have a prayer service we want you all to come to. And it starts at 9 o'clock. And uh, we pray up through midnight. And we pray in the new year. Man, I know you guys are going to be excited. And behind the scenes, they're like, they're killing us. You know, no, you know, I said, no, suck it up. This is, this is going to be great. Now, if you've never been to an all-black worship service, how many have been to an all-black? Wow. You've got to put that on the top of your bucket list. So we get there. The testimonies alone were just, you just can't even imagine. I mean, one person after another, that the storms blew in, and they thought the storms would wipe us out, and they'd all go, no way. God is good. And we're like, yeah, you know, just a bunch of white people. You know, we're, you know, we don't know what we're doing. And so this service just keeps going and going. And then when they get to the, the midnight hour and they all gather around and they prayed in this new year, oh my land, I, I can't even, I can't even explain it. We're all getting ready to head out. And uh, a couple of the men came up and said, you know, Brother Robertson, I hear that you're help, helping lead this group. We'd like you to come in this room. And so I, I come in the room, and they have a chair sitting there. And all the deacons from all these area churches gather around me, and they just, 
They put their hands on me, and they started praying for our group from Indiana that would come down and help them. And I thought, I can't believe you're praying for us. Uh, you know, just a group from Indiana here for not even a week to help you. That, it's not about us. And when they were done praying, uh, this, this big man just reached out with a big hand, and he put his hand on my shoulder, and he handed me an envelope full of money. And he said, I know you're with a bunch of college kids, and I know they get hungry, and I know you use gas, and we want you to be blessed by us. And I remember going in the van, I said, he just gave us money to come down and help them. Now, what do you call that? And they're like, they couldn't, they said, I don't even know a church like that. Well, that's the kind of church we want to be here. We want to be the kind of church that we're going to go wherever it takes to reach people wherever they are with the hands and the feet of Jesus Christ because we're driven by the heart of God. Do we have all the answers for poverty? Absolutely not. Nobody does. But can we help and can we make an impact? Yes, we can through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we're here because we love you. We thank you for your heart for those that are hurting. And Lord, that we should always remember where we were at in our lives without you. And Lord, we also come before you and we just thank you and we praise you that we can be your hands, that we can be your feet, that we can truly make a difference. Lord, no one can help everyone, but everyone can help someone. So Lord, be with us, give us wisdom, and give us strength. It's in Jesus' name that I pray, amen.